We're still in 1 Samuel. If you'd open your Bibles to the, to the text, 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll finish up chapter 2 today, God willing. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Samuel. Being the story really of the birth of the kings of the kingship in Israel, and specifically Saul and David. We're in 1st Samuel chapter 2. Remember, Samuel was born in a time of intense darkness in the land of Israel. After 400 years of judges, the nation had conspired against God. After 400 years of judges, the people were in a state where they did not know God. The worship of God was despised, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And yet, in the birth of Samuel, we see that God always has a plan. He's never not working. He's always at work. And it's a reminder for us to always be hopeful, even in the darkest of times, whether in our personal lives or whether in our country, to remember that God always has a plan. I'm going to read verses 22 through 36 of 1 Samuel 2. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy inspired word? And now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear, the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of all your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with an envious eye, on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. <coughs> the only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out and grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, 
shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. He shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of your priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Indeed, Father, we tremble at your word and we pray in Jesus' name that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Holy and just is our God. That's the title, holy and just. We'll first look at Eli's rebuke. And we'll kind of go through the text in sequence. We'll see that God is holy, He is sovereign, and He is just. First, let's look at Eli's words, his rebuke to his sons. Verse 22, we see that Eli was very old, and he had heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel. Remember, they were despising not only... uh, the women who came to serve at the entrance to the tent of meeting by sleeping with them, but they were also stealing the sacrifices to God that were given. They're supposed to be boiled and they would come and take as much meat as they wanted. This had been going on for a long time. Eli was very old. His boys had been indulged for far too long. And these words of correction you can sense we're far too little and far too late. They weren't going to listen. The scripture teaches that there's a time in a sinner's heart when God will just shut the door. He hardens their hearts. He gives them over to their sin. And this is perfectly fair and perfectly just. He's God. He's righteous. And He owes nothing to any man. He owes no man the right to repent. That's why there is always such urgency and a call to repent. But here we see that it's too late for Eli's sons and indeed for Eli himself. We read that Eli honors his sons before God. He failed to restrain them. He would not hold them to a godly standard. Rather, he seemed to indulge them. And he even seems to partake of the meat that they're stealing from the offerings of God. And it's not just Eli. We're all tempted in this way. All of us. If we have children. It's the opposite of godly love to do this, of course. We know that God disciplines those whom He loves. And so does the parents of their own children. You're going to discipline your children. As a beloved son, you owe that beloved son discipline. Needless to say, withholding discipline from a young child is the opposite of love. You hate that child. Withholding godly correction from older children who are in your home is the opposite of love. Something I struggle with all the time. My children are too old to spank anymore. Sometimes they prefer the spanking because it's quick. Right now I just have to talk to them and 
find ways to correct them to God's standards. It's difficult, but it's something that is worth doing. Because if we don't, we're like Eli. We put our children before God. We indulge our children rather than a godly standard. And you can see if you've ever been in such a situation how Eli must have felt. This is, this is his son. Both of his sons are doing this. And he doesn't want them to leave. He doesn't want them to look on him with some disfavor. Dr. Dale Davis, I think I read this last week as well, is spot on. He writes, Eli allowed his son's abuse of and contempt of worship to continue. He was honoring his sons above Yahweh. And for Eli, blood was thicker than fidelity. Ouch. So, children, don't be foolish like Hophni and Phinehas. Don't be like them. Listen to the counsel of your parents. If you're still in their home, whether you're one year old or 51 years old, you need to listen to the counsel of your parents. This honors God. Parents, don't be like Eli. Enforce a godly standard in your home. Put God first. He is holy. And that's the second point. God is holy. We serve a holy and righteous God. Hophni and Phinehas did not understand who God was. They did not understand His holiness at all. They didn't know Him. This scenario I'm about to describe has probably happened dozens of times in my family. And I'm ashamed of it. Sometimes on Fridays or Saturdays we'll have a family movie night. And our family just likes movies. I'm starting to like them less and less, but we like to just sit down with some popcorn and spend some time watching a movie. Last week, we were really looking forward to watching a movie, and it was an old one, so I thought, you know, old movies generally safe. You're not going to see sex. You're not going to, you know, see something that would make you go click. Let's turn this off. You know, the very first word in the whole movie, God damn. First words. What should I have done as dad? Click. Sorry, kids, we are not going to watch this. I'm so sorry. My soul was pierced. I mean, even as it came out of my mouth, my soul was pierced with grief. I thought, oh, that person does not know God. The person that wrote this movie would not have said that if they had really known the God that I know. But I let the movie go on. And we watched it for a few more minutes, and they said it again, and they said worse things. And finally, I just said, kids, I'm so sorry we watched this at all. Click. We turned the thing off. I was ashamed of it. I'm a slow learner, often a very slow learner. But I realized I was doing the same thing Hophni and Phinehas did. It's the same thing. I was regarding God as not holy. I was showing contempt for God by allowing this vile thing into my home. I was sinning against God, but also against my own family. And if it's been like this for me, I know you've been in these situations too. 
All you can do is repent before your family, apologize to them, and strive never ever to do that again. Eli seems to trying to be trying to point his kids to that right standard. Again, it's very late and very, very little. But in verse 25, he says, If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? He's trying to show his children that God is a holy God. Of course, sins against man are also sins against God. But his point was, your sin is going right at the heart of the worship of God. You're actually attacking God. He's kind of making a distinction regarding sin. He's saying, yes, yes, I know even the smallest sin is worthy of wrath. We all get it. A lie is worthy of wrath, just as Hitler's murderous actions in World War II are worthy of wrath. They're all equally worthy of wrath. But they're not all equally heinous in the sight of God. Some sins are way worse than others in the sight of God. And this is what Eli is alluding to. He's saying sins against men are bad. But you're not sinning just against man. You're going right at the heart of it. You're attacking God with your sin. And this is worse. This is much worse. Jesus indicated almost exactly the same thing when he was being questioned by Pontius Pilate. Remember, the Pharisees were doing what Hophni and Phinehas did. They're going right after God in the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus told Pilate, The one who delivered me over to you, or therefore he who delivered me over to you, has the greater sin. Pilate was guilty of sin. He wasn't being a righteous judge. He unjustly sent a perfectly innocent man, whom he knew to be right, to the cross. But Jesus said, the one who delivered me over to you, he has the greater sin. Why? Because the Pharisees were coming right at God, directly. Pilate was just doing his job imperfectly and poorly. But he wasn't coming right at God the same way the Pharisees were. That's why Jesus said they had the greater sin. It's like when the Pharisees said that Jesus was casting out demons by Beelzebub. They're coming right at God. They're coming right at the Holy Spirit. And they're despising God and despising His work. So do you think you've ever sinned like Hophni and Phinehas? Like their, their sin was outrageous. Sleeping with women who came to worship right there at the tent of meeting. Really? That's pretty bad. I want you to consider the third commandment with me for a moment. I've become more and more sensitive about my own failings in this particular commandment. And I know when I was a youngster, I broke this commandment often. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And you say to yourself, wow, that's not one I've struggled with. I don't curse that much, and I rarely, if ever, will say God's name in vain. Listen to how the Westminster theologians explain the third commandment. What is required in the third commandment? 
The third commandment requires the holy and reverend use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, words, and works. What's forbidden in the third commandment? The third commandment forbids all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes Himself known. You see what they're doing? Much as Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, you're committing a violation of the sixth commandment. You just murdered him. If you're lusting after a woman, you just committed a violation of the seventh commandment. You're committing adultery. Jesus went to the heart of the issue. And this is what the divines are trying to do when they explain the third commandment. It's more than just saying God in an unholy way. The first commandment speaks of our object of worship. You'll have no other gods before me. Only God is to be worshipped. The second commandment speaks of the means of worship. No images. No way other than the way that's prescribed in God's Word for worship. But the third commandment speaks of the manner of worship. It forbids all careless, profane, irreverent use of His name. And when you think of His name, think of all the ways whereby He makes Himself known. It implies a reverent use of everything that God uses to bring us to Himself. That He reveals to us about Himself. So it's more than just His name. It's all that His name implies. That's why when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not a magic potion, a magic formula. Oh, I said in Jesus' name. That means God hears it more. What you're saying is all that Jesus did for all of His people In that name, O Lord, hear our prayer. Well, this is hard. And the more you think about it, the more you pick at this thing, the more it reveals itself to your heart. You remember when you were a kid and you had a little scab and you'd start picking at it. and Your parents would say, don't pick that scab. It's just going to bleed again. You're going to get blood all over the place. But you couldn't help it, and you just went and you picked that thing off. And you, If you got it at the right time, it was good, right? If you got it at the right time, it wasn't going to bleed at all. It was ready to come off. Well, I'm kind of a spiritual scab picker sometimes. That's part of my job is to help you when you've wounded yourself by breaking a command of God's or displeasing Him in some way. Just let me help pick just for a few minutes here in the way that God's picked at my heart already. Obviously, so I'm going to go from big to small. Obviously, if you say Jesus Christ in any other way but worship, then just stop. If you say God in any other way but worship, then stop. That's the easy part. Think of what you do say when you're angry. If you have to say something, don't just don't make stuff up. I mean... Say light bulb. Say microphone. You know, just say something that's random, but don't start doing these kind of fancy words like gosh. What's gosh? It's a, sh- a long version of God. It's someone who knows they don't want to break the third commandment who said, I usually say God, but I'm just going to put an SH on the end. I want to get as close as I can to this real word without doing it. Or dad gum. Again. I'm not pointing the fingers at all of you more than myself. 
Rearrange the words of dadgum. You're saying, God, damn. That's what you're saying. Just stop. Don't go there. Gosh darn it. You know what you're saying. Just don't. It's the same thing. And I'm even convicted by God bless America. I used to say that when something bad would happen. That's an irreverent use of God's name. And even in our house, a a recent favorite within the past five years or so has been gracious providence. That's an irreverent use of one of God's works. Something bad would happen and we'd go, gracious providence. Do you get what we're doing here? God has revealed Himself to us in His attributes, in His works, in His Word, in ways that are very special and holy and wonderful and sweet to His people. And we become Hophni and Phinehas when we make light of it. When we throw it around or switch letters around so that we don't have to actually say the right thing to break the commandment or whatever. You might as well just say the curse word. Don't use the name carelessly. He's holy. Let me pick just a bit further. I think it's more than just not saying the name of God in the wrong way, but think of all the irreverent ways that God's Word is used. His ordinances, His works, His attributes. In any way that God makes Himself known to us. Think of all the different ways that God's Word is made light of. Making a mockery of the Word of God or His revelation to man. Jokes about heaven and hell. It seems like it's an American right to make jokes about heaven and hell. Was that St. Peter's Gate? And I mean, do you see what's happening? This is a very serious issue, and all of a sudden, we're making light of it. God is not holy in that moment. His judgments, His works, His work is despised. It's a travesty that we have fallen into this. And I think it's not just our culture. I think it's every culture. If you read the Puritans, the Puritan pastors are saying the same things that I'm saying to you. Remember who your God is. Don't be joking about the Bible. Don't be joking about something He's done. Do you watch television or movies where God's name is abused? Where pastors are portrayed as jokes and the sacraments are mocked or something or sermons are ridiculed? I've watched movies like that. Do you realize when you do this, you're approving this thing tacitly? You're giving approval to it. You might as well stand up and do it yourself. And I know you, some of you are thinking, you're just taking this a bit too far. Just slow down. Here's what really clinches it for me, besides the fact that it's so clear in the Word. What is it that inspires us to honor God in, his, in all the ways that He's made Himself known? What, what inspires in each one of us to do this? What convicts us that we have failed in this way? It's our love for Jesus. It's our reverence for the Almighty. It's an acknowledgement of all that He did and suffered to bring us into the family. We've been rescued by the fire. 
by God's Son and His own sacrifice. So of course, for those who know the sweetness of being under the blood of the Lamb, any careless and irreverent references to our Savior wounds our own spirits. Remember too that the Israelites always, always, after the temple was built, they were always performing, except for very short periods with just a few kings, but they were always bringing the sacrifices required. They kept the candles lit. They brought the showbread in. They did everything required for temple worship. They were just going through the motions. God was not holy to them. They didn't really mean it. They honored Him with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. Let that not be us. Listen to what God says will happen when He redeems His people in Christ. Ezekiel 39, verse 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. He's talking about the time of Christ. And then he says, and I will be jealous for my holy name. His name implies all that we've discussed. And God's saying, after Christ, all of his church will be jealous for his name. Not just himself, because he lives in us. His name represents who he is. So you can see that Hophni and Phinehas were anything but reverent about God. They did not know him. They did not worship him. They certainly did not consider Him holy. They were sinning against God in just an obvious and blatant way. It was outrageous. But you see, our sins are more subtle. They're more crafty. They're more careless. Let us cast ourselves before the face of our good and holy God and Ask Him to forgive us whenever these things happen in our lives. When we approach Him carelessly, when we approach prayer or the reading of His Word like it's some duty apart from the love of God and the love we have for God, and ask Him to forgive us. Eli forgot. That's the problem. He forgot that God was holy too. He refused to deal with his sons. But his sons certainly forgot God's holiness. We also see, and this is the third point, that God is sovereign. It says they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. First, listen to what it doesn't say in this text. It doesn't say they didn't listen to the voice of their father, so God decided to put them to death. No, it says rather they didn't listen to the voice of their father because... For God had decided to put them to death. It was the will of God to put them to death. This should cause a little bit of trembling in our souls. Their Creator God, because of their years of blasphemy and rebellion, gave them over to their sin. This is Romans 1 happening in the lives of Hophni and Phinehas. They were so hardened in their sin that God closed their ears to any hope of repentance. He gave them over to it. There comes a time in most rebellious sinners that Yahweh does confirm them in their sin. 
Why? It's for His glory. It's hard. We don't understand everything about what God does in salvation and hardening of those prepared for destruction, but it's for His glory. Can you open your Bibles with me for just a moment to Romans chapter 9? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 9. Paul has just talked about the great salvation by which God has saved His people. And he says it's by God and by God's work. Starting in verse 19, he's anticipating people who are saying that's not fair that God saves some and hardens others. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? This is verse 19. For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory? for the vessels of His mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also for the Gentiles. Do you kind of sense what Paul is saying here in response to this accusation that it's not right that Hophni and Phinehas would be hardened in their sin? He's kind of saying, who are you to talk to God like you know His business? He's perfect, He's righteous, He's just, He's holy. And He's going to do what He's going to do. Don't you become God's prosecutor. You and your infinite wisdom and your idea of what's morally right and wrong, you're going to accuse God. Is that what's happening? The most wise and just and holy God who's sovereign in all things, you're going to accuse Him. Paul says don't. Don't do that. We tremble before the One who can soften a hard heart but also who can harden the one who is unrepentant. So much so that it's deaf to the Gospel. God will not show mercy forever to those who are impenitent, who hate Him. And for Phineas and Hophni, the time was over. They were hardened for the day of wrath. So what's our call? Our call is to repent now. Before it's too late, turn to God. There's still a gospel call, and Christ welcomes all those who would repent into His arms. Turn your heart to God in faith right now. Faith in Jesus Christ. You see, for the sons of Eli, the time for repentance had passed. What a horrible and terrible thing. They forgot who God was, if they ever knew who He was. They forgot that He was holy. And now they're learning that He's sovereign. And finally, we see the fourth point. God is just. There came a prophet to Eli. And he's speaking God's words. He says, Why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling? And honor your sons above me. You see, God made Himself known in sacrifices and offerings. This was part of his worship, and he's saying, you're scorning, you're kicking at 
literally. You're kicking at my sacrifices. And then he said two things are going to happen. Your two sons are going to die on the same day. This actually happens a few chapters later. We'll get to it. And he says all the rest of your descendants are going to be slaughtered by the sword. Do you remember when David wasn't yet king and he went to this particular priest's house and he said, do you have anything here for me? And the priest said, yeah, here's some bread. You can take it. It's the show bread. And here's Goliath's sword. David said, thank you. And he took it and left. Those were descendants of Eli. Every one of them was killed except one who was left to weep just as God's Word had said. He was the only one left to weep at the the grievous thing that had happened to the descendants of Eli. And even he was later put out of the priesthood by David. You see, God's judgment on all who reject Him is equally as certain. He is a just God. Especially those of us who have had the privilege to hear the Gospel. Who know a lot about God. And yet who kick at God's sacrifices with our lives. God sees. Brothers and sisters, He sees. Will He be patient forever? His patience is long. His mercy is great. Why test it? The door will eventually close. So turn to the holy and sovereign and just God now. And if you know someone who is in a bad situation, don't lose hope. Hope is the the overriding theme of chapter 2. Verse 21, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. There's hope. There's always hope with God. No matter how long it's been, pray for that loved one. Continue to pray. No matter how long it's been, no matter how deep the sin is, continue to pray. There's always hope. And God will answer that prayer probably through some means where you don't even expect. Maybe the the prayer of a desperate mother for a child. Maybe in a little boy who doesn't know what he's doing except that he lives in the temple. You see, God answered the prayers of so many people in Israel through these means. This little boy was used to bring a revival in Israel. It points the promise here as well to our faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. He is the one who's going to eventually come as a king and a priest unto God and be a sure house. He's our faithful high priest and under Him all of us are truly blessed. So remember that God is sovereign. Remember that He's holy, but remember that He is just. Let us come to our holy, wise, and just God at this time and embrace Jesus together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You now and we pray that You would indeed help us to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. Let it never be too late for any one of us, Lord. With urgency we call. We pray that You would save the lost. If any one of us are not with You, Lord, under Your blood, change our hearts at this moment. Change us. 
We pray that we would live lives that reflect your holiness. We would live lives as if you were there with us. We would live lives at the foot of the cross, remembering your wonderful work. And that we would never make light of anything by which you have made yourself known to us. That it would always be considered special to us. That we would stand up to those who would defy you in this way. And speak a word of grace and of love and of peace and of gentle correction. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy to us as well. You are so merciful and so gracious. Turn our hearts to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.